This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. I'm Helen Farmer and this is the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. On today's episode, we look at marriage counselling. Who is it for? Who can benefit? What actually happens in a session with a licensed psychologist and social therapist as well? We were looking at the psychology of advertising. What makes a good advert, especially in this day and age where our attention is almost zero? And we had a very special guest in the studio, the big man in red. He's bearded and he's got some pretty strong opinions on who is naughty and nice. Plus, what are the hottest toys this year? What are the kids asking for? Santa knows. And we're talking relationships at the minute. You know, we all dream of having that perfect romantic relationship. And I think we could probably... Lay the blame at some rom-coms for some of the misconceptions. Because in reality, relationships are inevitably full of ups and downs. They take work. That work never stops. But what are some of the issues that are facing couples now? As we move into the holiday period, all sorts of stresses and strains, be it money, in-laws, come into play. So how can you create and maintain a harmonious relationship? We've got Jana Hebsen with us today. She's the MD of My Conscious Mind Mental Health Centre. She's a licensed psychologist and a social therapist as well. And by all accounts, it sounds like therapists and marriage counsellors are very busy at the moment. How are you? (laughs) Hi, Helen. Thank you so much for having me back on the show. Pleasure. Why why do you think so many people are finding themselves in the therapist clinic? And I think, honestly, that's a really positive thing. Um, But what, what are some of the contributing factors or reasons that you're hearing from clients? Yeah. I mean, overall, relationships are very complicated. And just before I dive into your question, I would like to take a step back. So we as individuals, we all are struggling with emotions and that are like fear or sadness, right? But imagine when we are in a relationship. In a relationship, I mean, it doesn't really have to be only a marriage, but it Mm -hmm. can be also mother and child. It can be at the workplace and with a friend. So relationships overall are very complicated. So when you bring two individuals with their own sets of fears and character defects, perhaps. And relationship expectations, the lens that they've grown up in, you know, we've all, we all bring our kind of our parents' marriages to our marriage as well. Correct, correct. And that's what I wanted to say is that when we come together as a couple, it's not only us two, but the factor multiplies by 10, 15 mm. or um, in different number because... And, and then there's all sorts of other complications, whether that is from different religions, cultural backgrounds, ages, yes. all these different variables. Absolutely. I mean, we live here in the UAE. It's a beautiful place. But what it brings with it is that we have a lot of cultures here. Mm. So if I would be back home in Germany, then most probably I would end up with somebody in Germany, right? But then again, we come together as individuals. And then we end up as a couple. Here in the UAE, you have a lot of interfaith, intercultural marriages. But plus, um, what we bring is our upbringing, the way we learned. But a lot of um, nowadays, they say it's just about communication when it comes to couples counseling. But there's also one another important um, thing that we need to mention is we all bring our personal traumas into the relationship. Mm -hmm. Let's say somebody grows up with a refrigerator mom or in a dysfunctional house. So 
that are all these different dynamics that are in the relationship. And also, I think, as I alluded to earlier, you know, we kind of hope. You know, think of think of think of that classic rom com. To their mind, the story finishes when you walk down the aisle, or the ring goes on the finger, or you meet that person. And there's this expectation or hope that you grow up with thinking that once I find that person, my problem's going to be over. Once I find that person, the hard work is over. Whereas really, it's just a whole other set of problems sometimes and hard work that we often aren't emotionally prepared for. You know, we think that this person is going to be our other half and that's that's the happy ending. Whereas that can often set you up for not working hard in a relationship or not being open to, you know, really trying to communicate, which presumably is why an awful lot of people find themselves with experts such as you looking for someone else to help and and fix them and fix their relationship. Correct. Well, it overall starts with the Disney movies, doesn't Mm, it? Yeah, problematic. (laughs) (laughs) I have a little girl and she watches Disney and it's always this prince on the white horse that comes and rescues you. And yes, as you said, Correct. We we think we go uh, put the finger, the, the ring on the finger, and that's it. This is where then happy life begins. Mm-hmm. But not only when we come as individuals together, we have a full army behind us: the mothers, the fathers, the uncles and cousins. But then children come into um, mm-hmm. into the play. So a lot of marriage, um, a lot of marriages um, start to have a little crack when kids come in. Because kids are dependent on us, uh, we don't have that much time. The humor fades. The the the, the money. The money. The, the money fades. The money correct. <laughs> correct. So there are so many things that are coming together. That's a really interesting point because I think male, male or female, you know, your whole identity changes when you become a parent. You know, correct. You, you go from being this person with really not many responsibilities yeah. to someone that has got to literally take care of this little, this little person and yeah. what does that mean for your relationship what does that mean for the passion in that relationship for who you are in the world Joanna Hobson is the MD of My Conscious Mind Mental Health Centre. She's a licensed psychologist and a social therapist. And we're talking relationships, future-proofing them, and which ones might not make it. And, John, I'm curious, as we alluded to earlier, no relationship is perfect. No Some people are more open perfect, about it than yeah. others. What, what can drive certain couples to actually seek help? Yeah, that <laughs> takes a lot of courage, it I does. believe. It, definitely. Um, we all... Yeah, let's say... We all have this one couple that we know mm-hmm. when we are in a relationship. From the outside, everything looks so perfect. And, but somehow you can tell that something is off there. So most of the times, um, people end up, because they feel ashamed, they, they don't want to expose their vulnerability, mm-hmm. they end up feeling lonely mm-hmm. and suffer in silence. And then there are the ones that have actually a support system where they feel that it's okay to open up. And I guess that's the people that come then to us Mm. to seek psychological help. It's interesting. Um, When I got engaged, my mum said, never be afraid to get marriage counselling. Me and your dad have. And I I could have fallen off my chair because my parents have been together. Oh, my goodness. When they were 19, my mum got married. They've been together, you know, 40-odd years. And 
are very, very happy together. But they've said, you know, during difficult times, whether it was moving countries or having children, they've, they've sought help. And that very much normalised it to me and me and my husband have been for it, you know, over, over the years as well. And I think that's really important for, for people to be open and say, you know, we're, we're having a tough time. I want to go right. to the text line, Jenna. Um, you can get in touch on 4001. Um, a message here, which I think is a really, a really interesting one. Anonymous saying, what if one partner wants to get marriage counselling, but the other one thinks there's nothing to worry about? Right. So um, that happens. I'm sure. And um, I always say when some one of the partners is reaching out to us and saying, no, I don't want to, what should I do? I always encourage for that individual to come to sessions. Because it, let's see, this relationships are like... Um, it's a, they interchanged or mm-hmm. they 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 are together, you know. And one one part starts to change, and because we are in a relationship, the other part also starts to change as well. So, I do believe that it is better to go alone mm-hmm. than but to not go at all. N- not go at all. Yeah. Okay. Um, we we've talked about the Gottmans on the show before, and mm-hmm. they've got. Um, what they call kind of their indicators of um, of when a marriage is not going to make it. Are you able to outline those, what they call the four horsemen of the apocalypse? Yes. Sounds so Sounds so dramatic. It sounds definitely dramatic. So they are criticism. Uh, you're always on your phone. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's what my husband says to me. You're always on your phone. What are you doing at your phone? There's defensiveness. There's contempt and there's stonewalling. Stonewalling is just emotionally shutting off. Emotionally shutting off. Now, disrespect and contempt seem to be the ones that the Gottmans really hold up as being there's very little you can do to come back. Once you have contempt for your partner, could you give us an example of what contempt might look like, Jana? Contempt? Uh, how about I start with criticism? Yeah, let's and go then, through them. Yeah. So, for example, you're always on your phone, Right. That can be typically said from a wife to a husband or the other way around. The other person can be defensive and say, hey, I'm the breadwinner. What are you talking about? When we criticize, we criticize the action of the partner. All of a sudden, the other person wants to answer to become defensive. No, I'm the breadwinner and uh, I'm doing this because it has a reason. Mm -hmm. The other person comes back with contempt and actually attacks the person as a human being with sarcasm. Oh, this is so typical of you. Or, um, yeah, I'm blank now. <laughs> but when you go to stonewalling from that is when you give the person, when your partner a silent treatment. Mm-hmm. There's no communication. At no all. communication at all. We are going to go to the text line. We've had a number of messages and um, some um, some questions and some just comments. Um, Kay saying, we found counselling helpful. My husband finds it really hard to communicate his feelings. And she was able to bring it out and address some of the underlying misconceptions we'd end up. They got sorted out. It was also important to me as a sign of commitment. As counselling isn't really something he was comfortable with. So I knew by going he was putting the effort in. I think that's a really interesting point. Kay, yeah. thank you for sharing that. Talking relationships this hour and joined in the studio by licensed psychologist, social therapist at my Conscious Mind Mental Health Centre is Joanna Habson. I want to go to the text line in in just a couple of minutes. We've had a number of messages. But I'm kind of curious to 
really think about when and how marriage counselling can help a couple. And when, and be honest, have you had a couple come in and you think, well, there's just no hope here? Or is there always hope? Um, sometimes when couples come in, the first question that I ask is, what do you think about divorce? And if their eyes light up. Correct. So, <laughs> Pretty excited about that, actually. Let's save my time. Let's save your time. Mm-hmm. Let's save the money. Yeah. Uh, why are we here? If one partner wants to separate and the other one just is hanging on, mm-hmm. then it doesn't really make sense, mm-hmm. you know? So, yes, the first question can be, do you want to stay together? How interesting, because it sounds so obvious, but that must be such a telling, telling answer. What about issues that our couples are facing specific to this region? You know, you've worked internationally and I know your team have as well. Are there anything where you're kind of sitting around and go, yeah, I'm getting that as well. It's interesting you should say that. There seems to be a bit of a pattern in Dubai. Is there anything that comes to mind? Well, um, 80% of my couples that I see um, they're all intercultural marriages and as well as interfaith. Um, and at the beginning, it can be quite exciting, you know. Oh, my God, that German person, she comes always on time, you know. But after some time, somebody can start complaining like, this is so annoying, you're pressuring me. And presumably there's some family issues there as well in terms of different dynamics within a family that you might not be used to. You didn't grow up with that. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Uh, what about infidelity? Infidelity, okay. Because we have had a message, no name, saying, um, do you think a couple can ever come back from it? That's, I mean, I, this is, I'm, I'm going to steal the, the classic psychologist answer, which is going to be, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a very great um, psychologist. She's uh, focusing on couples. Her name is Esther Perel. I love her. I love her too. So, um, And there was a very interesting concept that she introduced. Why do people cheat? Why do people go um, and meet someone else? Mm -hmm. And very interesting what she said was, um, it's not particularly that they want to be with another person, but it's actually they are trying to find the self that they have lost in the relationship Mm -hmm. or they are trying to um, find another self yeah, trying to yeah. access a part of them or try exactly. to be someone, someone else exactly. through, through the medium of being with I with mean, relationships, person. especially when you are for a long time in a relationship, then we as individuals, we, we change, mm-hmm. you know, and if the other partner is not changing as well, then the relationship is doomed. I've got a clip here from Esther Perel because we were just saying earlier about how you know, we expect our partner to, you know, complete us, fulfill us. And here she is talking about how society has ultimately changed and how perhaps we might be expecting a little bit too much. Yeah. You are the person who is going to recognize me and validate me and reflect back on me, my image that I want to have of myself. And you're also going to be my confidant and my passionate lover. We are asking one person to give us what once an entire village used to provide. In numbers of people... And I think it's crushing us. It puts way too many expectations. The average American today has about one or one and a half person to turn to in times of crisis. That is tragic. 
That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Those expectations. Um, I want to come to the text line. Um, no name on this message saying, please help. Um, I haven't shared a bed with my husband for five years. We still do kind things for each other, like making meals, picking up items, send funny articles. That's nice. Um, but I recently had a bad accident and he was amazing. Got me to hospital, stayed with me, sorted everything. He was really loving. When I hug him, I think, oh, he's a lovely man. I love him as my child's father and he's a really good man. Hardworking, amusing, amazing dad. We agree, he's kind, but there's no passion and we're so stale with each other. Is there any hope? I would say yes. Um, the first thing that I say when, when I come across this kind of questions is remember that person that you met. Mm-hmm. What, ha- what were the things that were interesting about him? And we always need this kind of closure but then we also need this kind of distance between our partner so it is it is normal yes sometimes we turn into buddies you know and sometimes when the passion is gone yes it can be sometimes brought back but sometimes also not but is the person okay with the way she is living at the moment and can she continue or he can she or he continue the way they are without the passion sometimes sometimes it's gone I wanted to come to this message. This has got a name in it. Um, this is from Rima saying, I've been having issues in my marriage for a few years now. I've told my husband we need to see a counsellor and he always says no. I find a lot of men refuse to seek help as they don't want to be open or vulnerable in front of someone else. How can I get him to go with me? What always helps is when one partner asks, can you give a call to my partner? And that's what we do. We just have a friendly chat. And so kind of demystify it a little exactly. bit. Because it does sound, I mean, we've said this before in terms of various psychological issues or, or topics. The thought of going to therapy, going to see a counsellor, can feel for, I'd say, the vast majority of people, very other, very foreign, very formal. Intimidating. Very, totally, totally. This is make or break. In marriage counselling, it can be really positive and preemptive and very healthy. Yeah. But I think for, if you are in that headspace, I don't think many people are. Um, but for others, it can be like, well, this feels like a criticism of me and Correct. my efforts that you think we need to bring a third person in who is probably going to tell me what I've been doing wrong. Yeah. A lot of men are actually scared because there are a lot of uh, female psychologists. Mm. So the men are thinking, oh, my God, they're going to team up, <laughs> you know, hang up on me. <laughs> they hang up on me and then I'm going to be the boom man. So um, if you are having a good psychologist, if you are a good psychologist, good ethical psychologist, then you will not take sides. Mm-hmm. And um, the setting of relationship uh, counseling or marriage counseling is that we make baby steps and we create a safe environment and address problems such as there's no more passion or infidelity or um, basically reopen the channels of communication as well as targeting what kind of traumas maybe that person Mm -hmm. has by themselves. So I know counseling is very intimidating. I wanted to ask you, Jana, just because we are coming into holiday season, we're going to have some in-laws, we're going to have some gifting, some money issues potentially. Anything that we could all, regardless of whether we find ourselves at breaking point or, or needing expert help, be doing or changing or trying in our relationships to really be a united front, to really be the team, to really rediscover the person that we met and the person that we were when that when that spark first uh, first appeared 
I didn't get the question. Can what, you what, what could we be doing to kind of future-proof our relationships and make ourselves stronger over a quite stressful holiday period? Okay, I get it now. Just speak about yourself. Speak how you feel. If you want to improve your relationship, please just talk from I statements. For example, you're always on your phone. Can be paraphrased into, I feel I really feel neglected. So you are with your partner for a reason. And here you are allowed to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So open up from an I statement. Mm-hmm. I think that would be the best thing forward. Coming back to the Gottmans, the, the best bit of advice I read from them, which was about just turning towards somebody. If someone's coming to you saying, this is how I am, this is how my day is, I'm tr- and I, I'm not doing it all the time, but I'm really, I'm really I'm trying. Me neither. You know, it's, it's, you know, putting the phone down, literally turning your body and your face towards that person and, and physically showing them, I am listening to I am you. Here now. You are a priority yeah. to me at this moment. Yeah. And it sounds so simple, but in everybody's crazy life where everybody's fighting for your time and attention, it's not that simple, but I think yeah. it is really, really impactful. Yes. I mean, attention and listening. I mean, these are the core skills that we need um, in order to feel important. And it doesn't really cost much. We don't need... What if, what if I would bring my husband this uh, Christmas a gift? You will always have my full attention. <laughs> <laughs> I just bought my cap this morning. Does that count? <laughs> John, for anyone whose message we couldn't get to today or it wasn't appropriate to read out and perhaps needs a bit more one-on-one time with you or your team or indeed um, anyone um, over there, what's the best way of getting in touch with you um, and indeed any resources that you think might be useful? So definitely you can reach us over social media, MCM Dubai um, on Instagram and mcmdubai.com and um I think in terms of the biggest takeaway is that everybody's probably struggling to some degree. <laughs> well, honestly, everybody is going through at some point through the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Yeah, of varying degrees and severity. Yes, absolutely. But then what do you make out of it? Yeah. I mean, there are a thousand tools that we can use. Uh, date nights, uh, create a love, love map. But if you just had... Um, fight with your partner that criticized you, that stonewalled you. Yes, in theory, everything is so um, easy. Let's go on a date night. But how can you go with somebody on a date night if you were just um, dismissed and somebody was condescending Mm -hmm. towards you? So... Yeah, this is relationships are complicated. I think that is the big takeaway. Relation, yeah. and, and as you say, there might be that couple that you think has got it absolutely nailed. There's probably an awful lot going on behind the scenes. Yeah. Jana, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Really, for really valuable. Me. Thank you to everyone who got in touch, sharing their questions and their experiences as well. We really do appreciate it. Every single day, we are bombarded with images, messages, be it. Online, TV, magazines, newspapers, we all know the impact that bad news on TV can have on our, on our wellness, really, our emotional state. But what about adverts? They can be entertaining, thought-provoking, some can be misleading. But how can they affect how we feel? Uh, we're speaking now to Ahmad Abuzanad, who's an author, a strategist and the founder of the advisory firm Native, to talk about the role that adverts have on our mood. And I'd love to hear from you about what you think have been some of the most successful adverts of all time. The ones that made you think, made you buy, have really stayed with you over the years. I still, to this day, <laughs> it wasn't a great advert. Still to this day, remember the Mr. Frosty advert, which was this this snowman. I don't know if you saw this. 
Ahmad. It was like a plastic snowman that you put ice in the back of and then you twisted you kind of twisted the back and it turned the ice into slush and then you added flavoring and my parents never let me out of it and I'm now in my 40s and still feel I'm owed a slushy. How are you this afternoon, sir? I'm very good, Helen. How are you? I'm really well. I find this such a fascinating topic. And as I said, I'd love to hear from people about the adverts that they feel like have been really effective, for want of a better word. But let's, mm. let's go back to my original question. When we're looking at the psychology of advertising, what impact can it have on the way we feel? Yeah, it can have an immense impact. It can be uh, annoying or it can be uh, super uplifting. And, um, you know... We are all optimists and uh, we are delusionally optimistic. So, and this means, and biasly optimistic. So, uh, optimism bias is something 80% of us have. Can you unpack that a little bit? What does yes. that mean? So, uh, when you're optimistic, it means that the way you foresee the future is better than your today and your yesterday, mm -hmm. the present and uh, the past. And uh, when you are biasly optimistic or optimism bias, it means that towards yourself, you believe that if the future you hold for your own self is much better than all the contexts uh, that's that's out there. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, I'm just trying. I'm yeah. Just when you're saying that, my immediate thought was, if someone's going to start a fitness plan in January, they're thinking, well, future Helen is going to have so much discipline. Exactly. She's yeah. going to be really organised, and she's. Yeah. This is exactly very unrealistic, yeah. but very optimistic. Yes. So, and we need this. It's a survival technique. And apparently, studies are showing that if you are realistic about the future, meaning that you you predict it accurately, mm -hmm. you will suffer from mild depression. Yeah, I can well imagine. So, and this is in nature. We needed this survival mechanism, and it's it's, it's the triumph of hope over experience. Mm -hmm. And apparently, when our mind evolved into the ability to travel in uh, time mentally so we can worry about the future and, you know, reminisce about the past. This happened at the same time where we were conscious enough of our own mortality. So when your next door neighbor who is just as old as you suffers from the or has the same health conditions as you, when they suddenly pass away, you need optimism bias to survive, to say, no, it will not happen to me. I'm different. I'm yeah, special. I'm different. So how does this relate to advertising? <clears throat> So we needed this in nature to foresee a future where we look better, we, we act smarter, we are f f f much more fun, we are funnier. And this, we needed this in nature. But in today's marketplace, the way you foresee your future has to do a lot with what you are going to wear, what are you going to drive, mm -hmm. what vacation are you going to take, and who allows you and who helps you foresee this uh, future. It's what you see in, in, in the ad. So this is though I'm just thinking of a kind of a parenting example mm. that that, you know, beautifully groomed mother with the clean children who are eating their veggies and they're, they're they've cooked that in this oven. And that oven is going to that's that's solving my problems. That's mm. going to make my children well behaved and great eaters. And it's going to make me calm and organized. We're looking for something to fix us. Yes. So. Uh, studies, fMRI studies, uh, uh, they've done it in Duke's University, where they wanted to see the effect of advertising on, on, on your brain and uh, on your brain functions, which means your mood. Mm -hmm. So there are brands whose advertising is very cheerful and it's very inspiring. So it's Coca-Cola, Coke. So it's open happiness. It's all about happiness. Apple is about, you know, you're creative. You can be different, think different, challenge the status quo and all of that. Just on, do it. 
just do it as Nike. But on this study, it was Apple versus Samsung. Okay. Samsung is a very functional brand. It just talks reality. Mm-hmm. And uh, Coke versus Pepsi. So the same people were exposed to the Apple brand and its advertising and the Coke brand. And they were, you know, monitoring the brain and scanning the brain. And they saw that, you know, the functions in the brain that were activated when they saw Apple and Coke were those of, you know, feeling better, happy, uh, you're happier. While when you saw, when they saw Pepsi and Samsung, no reactions, no triggers, no, no, no nothing. How interesting. And this is to do with the tone, the mood that they were setting in their adverts, to do with associations of, you know, certain brands being more aspirational. Yes. So... The average person is exposed to 6,000 to 8,000 ads per day. Whoa. At 18 months, the average American baby can recognize up to 100 logos. No. So advertising is everywhere and it's not going anywhere. But we can choose to live in a world where advertising is allowing us to foresee a brighter future where we actually perform better and and you know it, it really can affect our well-being in the present or a world where advertising is just you know all over intruding interrupting and uh, and, and annoying Talking the power of advertising now and joining us live in the studio is author, strategist, founder of advisory firm Native, um, Ahmed Abuzanad is with us to talk about some of the psychological tricks that advertisers use. Now, we wrote our letters to Santa. I say we, my children wrote their letters to Santa a few weeks ago and my nearly eight-year-old has asked for Santa's phone number. I was like, that's good, that's smart. Um, she's asked for a new swimming costume and an iPhone 14, to wow. which I went... That's a very hard no for very many reasons. And I was like, where did you hear about an iPhone iPhone 14? She was like, oh, on YouTube ads, it comes up all the time. And I was like, Mm. well, we're in trouble. Because when I watched TV as a child, it was during the advertisement breaks. In Mm. my day, there were four channels. You know, there were. There were four channels. Mm. And that was where I got my ideas for what Christmas presents, what birthdays, you know, what are Mr. Frosty the slush machine was that. Whereas now... It's it's online and our attention spans are so much shorter. Yeah. So how have advertisers had to adapt to the platform of online? Um, whether that is obviously the strategy of, of capturing attention, but also those kind of call to actions as well. What, yeah. what does that look like now? Well, uh, believe it or not, they're still adapting, still figuring it out and it keeps on changing. You know, so as soon as they figured out YouTube and Facebook, TikTok came about mm-hmm. and Snapchat uh, came about, and they're still trying to figure out uh, what the hell to, to do on mm-hmm. TikTok and uh, on, on Snapchat. And to the instance where uh, what happened with your kid is uh, this is just, you know, inefficient, ineffective targeting because your kid is obviously watching uh, something for a seven year old. Yeah. yeah. Th- so. The playing uh, an iPhone 14 ad during that YouTube video is the equivalent of you on 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 TV when you were her age, watching your cartoons and uh, you know and uh, they play an ad for a for a for a for a car. <laughs> but I mean, it's obviously worked because now she's asking for it, and I'm I'm a parent that's saying no. But there's probably some parents yeah. out there who go, well, oh, you know, maybe. kids they're always trying to push the envelope. Tell me about it. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Leanne's saying my best friend loves to cook. And whenever a new kitchen gadget pops up on her social media page, she literally orders it online immediately, mm. thinking she desperately needs it. It's quite worrying. So what are some of those psychological tricks that advertisers use to make Leanne's friend and so many of us go mm. click, purchase, add to cart? 
Yeah, well, I think there's a, a general misperception and a misunderstanding of how advertising works. Uh, we assume that, you know, the, the role of advertising is to put the information out there for people to process and act rationally about them. Mm-hmm. But this is not how the word works. You know, 95% of purchase decisions are made in the unconscious mind. Only 5% are made in the reflective uh, mind. So when it's unconscious, you are acting impulsively, instinctively. And as as advertisers, we need to figure out how the unco- unconscious mind uh, works. You know, this is like an evolutionally old part of, uh, of the brain. Mm-hmm. And the way it works is uh, we seek to signal out specific personal traits about ourselves to either survive and or reproduce. So to, to survive, you need to deter rivals. So you tell your in a high school reunion, you tell your high school classmates that you've made it. So they are your rivals. So stay, stay away from my boyfriend, stay mm-hmm. away from, from my lunch. And that's one, one trigger. Uh, the second one is uh, reproduction. So you're, you're always trying to attract you know, a potential a potential mate. Mm-hmm. So when I buy a fancy car, when I buy a fancy watch, it, the ad needs to tell me that when you wear it, girls are going to like you. Think about that um, links or acts aftershave <laughs> advert. <Yeah. laughs> and uh, the third one is the reciprocity. And this is what triggers gift giving. So when I give you a gift, it's because I want to establish a reciprocal relationship with you. So I want to show you how much effort I've put into the, uh, the gift and what have you. So Christmas is coming and this... This is the psychological trigger behind uh, gift giving and buying gifts. It's uh, what we call unspoken competition that who's going to get you the most thoughtful uh, thoughtful gift. And they, they, they showed that there are gender differences in what motivates men to buy a gift for another woman versus women. Go on. Men, they just want to throw money at it to tell them, you know, I have the ability to acquire resources. I bought you a very expensive gift. No thoughts beyond that. Okay. Women, they go for thoughtful uh, gifts to show you that, you know, uh, I've, I've, I've given it a thought, I've given it an effort to show uh, how much she cares. I'm now questioning, my husband and I are buying each other a tent for Christmas. <laughs> what does that say? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm keen to get your take on regulation. You mentioned there about that being a bit of a mistargeted advert, an iPhone 14 on you know, kids' YouTube. Yes. What about content regulation? What what kind of responsibility do you think advertisers have or indeed should have yeah. when it comes to marketing those products? Interesting that, we you know, social media is a mess. Yeah, I agree. We're hoping Elon Musk will, will fix it Are for we? us. <laughs> I'm, I'm not so sure. I don't think he's fixing it. I've seen it. his bedside table. I haven't, haven't got much hope <laughs> in him. It, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So whenever they try, they try to regulate fake news, they try to regulate, you know, a pres- the president uh, calling for uh, uh, riots, and people were like, no, we want freedom of speech. So mm-hmm. it's going to be very tough to regulate it. But the the, the invitation is to bring in talented, competent people to work in advertising and, and allow them to, you know, work on their craft and allow them to really unleash their creativity. That's an interesting way of looking at it because I feel like it maybe it's not as respected as it could or should be. And there are some amazing people. I used to work for an advertising copy, um, agency and it was, there was a sign on the door which was, um, do not feed the creatives because behind that door were, were, the, were the creative team and it, they, were like, <laughs> they were like animals from Muppets. Um, but I think, unfortunately, there have been some yes. lazy advertising yeah. or clumsy, thoughtless yes. that has kind of let the industry yeah. down. And I'm, I like the fact you used the, used the word craft there because... Yes. It, it, it really is or yeah. it really could or should be. Yes. 
So in 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 Arabic, we have a proverb that uh, you know it, it talks about the carpenter with a dysfunctional door or the shoemaker who is barefoot, the barefoot shoemaker. And the same applies to advertisers that we do so much to uplift and enhance the image of our clients. But we do so little with like the the barefoot uh, shoemaker for we have, that. Yeah, we have a similar one, which is um, the cobbler's children are never shod. So mm. the man that makes the shoes, his children are always barefoot. Yes. Thank you so much for your time today. Really, really interesting. And I hope it's given everyone a bit of pause for thought next time they see an advert and reflecting on how does it make, it f- make me feel? How do they want me to feel after seeing this, hearing this, reading this? I love a good sad advert. I feel like sometimes it can be really wonderful just to kind of <laughs> unlock the John Lewis adverts yes. that people from yeah, the UK yeah. will, will have seen. And it is because sometimes it can bring together this feeling of connection or a moment or a, a kind of a, a cultural crossroads sometimes. And, um, oh, hang on, I'm going to get one last question because this is a great one. Can you comment on the latest Balenciaga campaign? Yeah, I was on TV talking about it. Tell us in, in a couple of minutes what your take on it is. I mean, it's a great bit of PR for them. My goodness, yeah. we're talking about it right now. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a new um, concept in, in marketing, brand activism, when mm-hmm. a brand takes a political stand. Of course, yeah. And at times it's a divisive uh, stand. But very often this is uh, misunderstood. And it's, it's, it should not serve uh, a personal agenda of someone working at the brand. It should serve the business, the brand. And what happened with Balenciaga is there's a stylist who's, who she's into this. So this is her personal agenda to, you know, normalize whatever, whatever the hell that was. You know? yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> because there seems to be a lot of willful, you know, la, 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 we didn't see that document or la, 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 I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Surely it's much, been much more calculated and purposeful than, yes. than, than we've been led yeah. to believe by a pretty and when, when someone apology. takes money from an organization to, to, to serve their own personal agenda, I call this corruption in disguise because mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's your personal agenda. Well said indeed. Um, for anyone that wants to get in touch with you, follow you, read more about uh, your thoughts on advertising and, and everything else. Ahmed, what's the best way of getting in touch? Uh, Instagram is at Ahmed the Adman. There you go. <laughs> great, great bit of personal branding there. So if you do want those details, by all means, get in touch. Santa is here. I am so honoured that you've made time for us, Santa. How are you? Well, I'm uh, a little warmer than normal <laughs> here in Dubai. It's Dubai. We've got yeah. Donut, your, your glamorous elf. Can I have a little stomp of the boots? Can I hear the jingle bells? Uh, uh, listen. There you go. It's the sound of magic right there. Any kids listening today, we would love to hear from you if you've got any questions for Santa. And I do appreciate your time because I know it's obviously a very, very busy time of year. Now, you've had already, we've met lots of children around Dubai already. And I'm very curious as a mum, what are the hot gifts right now? What are the children asking for Santa? Well, there's, uh, the, there's the usual sort of like from the, with the boys, they like the Hot Wheels and then you've got the uh, girls wanting the LOL dolls. And of course, they love the rainbow unicorns, you know. Um, I like rainbow rhinoceroses because they're sort of like fat unicorns, really, aren't they? Sort of, um, but uh, the mo- one of the most popular ones coming up is it, it, it's uh, the Play-Doh uh, Christmas uh, kitchen. It's the uh, I've seen. It's like an ice cream kitchen creations ultimate. Yeah, yeah. So ultimate that, ice cream truck. I think it's this called. Is, this is Christmas most wanted, twenty twenty two. Yeah. Um, I wanted to go to the text line. Emma is uh, is nine and says, Santa, do kids in the North Pole have homework? And do you have Wi Fi in the North Pole? Well, we don't get really. Uh, we uh, Wi Fi. 
Uh, we don't get time to surf the internet. Um, we do have Wi-Fi, but uh, it's just for a few select elves. Mm-hmm. We don't have – we have young elves and they're around about sort of 250, 300 years old. So not That's, kids it, as such. You know, They're not really kids as such. It, it, it sort of works differently up there because time goes a bit slower as it were. I hope that helps, Emma. Yes. Um, what about a question here? What do you actually want to eat on Christmas Eve? So if people are leaving out snacks for you, for Rudolph, what, what do you kind of get excited about and what do you go, oh, no, not this again? Oh, not again. No, I never, I never turn down cookies. I love cookies. I mean, who doesn't love cookies? I mean, everybody loves cookies. That's why they call them cookies. Uh, mince pies. Of course, I like a mince pie. Um, yes. Um, but it, usually sugar-based because I'm burning a lot of energy because mm-hmm. I'm moving a lot very fast that night. So we shouldn't be afraid so, to leave out. No, don't be afraid to leave anything out. In fact, uh, you know, um, we had a suggestion of putting some sugar on the carrots for the reindeer, <gasps> and that does help a little bit. I try not to give them too oh, much. I quite like that. Donut, my elf, she tends to feed the uh, donuts to the elves. You which, could do uh, a little cinnamon sugar, yeah, little kind of festive. But the thing is, like, I can't have them putting on too much weight because it's difficult to get them off the ground then, That's you see. a very, see. very good mm. point. Um, a question here saying, Santa, I want to ask you the job you wanted as a child or what you wanted to become when you were a child. That's a great question. Was this always in your destiny? Well, I, I think I was always going to be Santa, yes. I mean, it, it's the best job in the world. I mean, you know, I get to see all those lovely faces when they're happy and jolly and having fun. Mm. And also I get to eat lots of cookies. <laughs> and people ask me, they go, well, you only work one night a year. What do you do for the rest of the year? Well, it's not true. I work 365 days. I do get one Quite day off right. or a little bit of time. Bit of boxing but mm-hmm. I get to test all the toys. Now, that's one of the best jobs in the world. Who wouldn't want to play with all the toys? Santa, I wanted to ask you about your favourite Christmas films. Do you actually watch them? Do you, are there any films that you think, oh, that's actually, that, that makes me feel all festive and warm well, inside? Well, I don't, I, I, I don't know. I mean, Have uh, you got time for that? I, I've, I've watched a few. I mean, like uh, the recent ones that came out with uh, uh, Kurt Russell and, and um, mm. Goldie Horn with uh, the Christmas Chronicles. They were, they were not too bad. But I think it's so, all like uh, Miracle on... Uh, 34th Street. 34th Street yeah, was uh, the, old, you know, the old school. The ones. old one, yes. An important question yes. that I know a lot of people have on their mind today, and right. I know a lot of children ask you this when okay. you meet them. How do you know if someone's been naughty and nice, and when do you decide this, Santa? Um, well, um, the decision actually gets made. Well, you know whether you're on the naughty or nice list by Christmas morning when you wake up and you have presents. If you've received presents, you obviously made the nice list. And the decision is normally made on Christmas Eve. Wow, that um, late. But goodness. it is it's not well it's not really late. It's sort of it's sort of an instinctive thing. We know sort of, you know, from over the year we get reports coming in obviously a lot of you got sh- Elves on the shelf, for example, mm-hmm. and some, and we get reports coming from mummy and daddy, and also we get the th- we see what's going on at school, and we see what people have been doing and what they've achieved throughout the year. So, yes. Okay, we've, I've got some people behind me. Our lovely Dubai Eye presenters, oh, right. and I know you might have been keeping an eye on them throughout oh, the year, but I want you to yes. just go on instinct now. And I know you can't give me a final answer until, as you say, it's Christmas Eve. We're going to start with Miss George Tolly um, in the red here. Just a very quick answer. Naughty or nice? Um, I think, um, yes. Oh, she no. looks nice. Oh, yes. <laughs> I wasn't sure where that was going. Mm. 
Christopher McCarty. He's wearing a football helmet there. Um, naughty or nice? Yes, and he's also covered his mouth. And I don't know. Is that, or is that a, a funny beard? He's got, or something? A, very, I, he's I got a beard know. to rival yours. Well, all I can see is some shifty eyes. So definitely naughty. Oh, do you know what? People listening today are in agreement. Chris McCarty, according to Dubai, our listeners, and now officially Santa on the naughty list. But is it too right. late for him to turn it around? No, of course not. Okay. It's never too never too late. We've got Sonal here in the in a hat the, to rival yours. Um, well, yes, I mean, it's, um, yes, she's got a, a nice smile, I think. She I think she could does. be on the nice list. I agree. It sounds like I'm being biased towards the girls. It does a bit. Really, well, what about, what about well. Robbie Greenfield here? He's got a beard and a nice smile. Well, he has got a nice smile, yes. But uh, now no, he looks a bit shifty. <laughs> yeah, no, naughty, naughty. We've got another lady now. It's Brandy Scott from the Business Breakfast. Oh, right, yes, of course. You must um, have been keeping an eye on her. Do you wake yes. up that early? No, I mean, look, she 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 looks like she can be nice, but also she's got a bit of a cheeky smile there. So mm-hmm. I think she's one of those that's like, well, it's nice to be naughty now oh, and again. Oh, Brandy. Ooh. Now, you can't even see Richard Dean's hat here. He's got a cap on. Yes. What do you reckon about Richard Dean from the business But he's breakfast? got a nice smile, hasn't he? He's a, he you know, he, he works hard on that could, smile. Or is that a sort of, I don't know, yes, um... Yes, I say he's nice. Tom Urquhart's the one I'm interested in because we've had mixed reports from listeners today. Naughty or nice? He's looking very smart here in his jacket and his he Santa looks, hat. He looks smart, but he looks also very serious. Mm. And he looks as though he's been sort of like, he looks like uh, the type of guy I would not buy a second-hand sleigh from. <laughs> Right. And leave him to feed the reindeer? Not a chance. Naughty. I'm next, and I'm genuinely worried about what you're going to say. I'm actually blushing. Well, are you really? I am. Really? Yes. Yes. Because I don't know if I've been um, naughty or nice this year. Um, well, you've got a chef sat on, so... And I... Well, that's got to be a nice thing. So, I'll, like, I'll you know, cookies. cookies. Yes. There you go, you see. Yes. Oh. Have I just snuck in? I think so. Okay. I possibly. Well, we'll find out. We'll find out. You've got to, <laughs> got a few see days. what the cookies are like on we've Christmas got, Eve. We've got the lovely Mark Lloyd there. He's wearing a camouflage Santa hat. Mark? Uh, I like Mark. He's, he's, he's on the nice list, yes. Mark. We've got a very important question, okay. um, which we'll end on, because I feel like this is a... Well, actually, we've got two questions. One quick answer. Who are you supporting in the FIFA World Cup, Santa? Well, um, well that's a, that is a tough one. England. Okay, you're well, wearing the right colours. And also, yeah. this is something my kids have asked, and I really hope you've got an answer. How do you get into a house if they haven't got a chimney? Well, it's it's all about magic, isn't it? It's sort of, you know, I've got a, I've got a key to most, uh, which just seems to work. Um, well, it did last year. It depends, like, which list I end up on, and then elves nice. are going to play a trick on me or not. Santa, thank you for coming in today. It's been an honour an honour and a privilege to get the inside scoop on the hottest gifts, what you actually do want to find when you do manage to get into our homes on uh, on Christmas Eve. And to any kids listening today, it is not too late to turn that behaviour around. Not at all. Not at all. If you want to find a present or two under the tree, kindness, that's what we're looking for, kindness, right, Santa? Kindness, yes, being kind to each other. Thank you. I'm going to send this podcast to my children. Santa... Words I'd never thought I'd say on Dubai Eye. Thank you for joining me live in the studio. And thank you for downloading this episode of the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe. You'll get it direct to your phone as soon as it's out. And you can listen to me live on Dubai Eye 103.8, Monday to Friday between 2 and 5 p.m. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates,
Just go to dubaii1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.